Hey, welcome to Awakening. Uh, if you're new here, we're in a series called Barbie and Ken and the, and the Fate of the Human Race. We're actually finishing it up uh, next week. We're, we'll be all done with it. Uh, but we're talking on some big things uh, tonight. In fact, tonight is really, I'd classify it, uh, somewhat PG-13-ish. Uh, and so... Um, we're going to be taking questions at the end of the night, and it's such a big deal that I invited my good friend uh, Christina Papoulias here to help with that. I did a lot of ministry with her at Westgate. We served together uh, doing student ministry for about five years, and she's a gifted uh, leader and communicator, and so she's going to join uh, Jay and I uh, near the end of tonight to help do Q&A. Um, but if you want to text questions, you can do so now, and we'll hit as many as we can, and we'll do some videos midweek on that, and the, the number's just simply 408-510-2964, and you can text throughout the night, and that would be great. All right, let me pray, and we'll dive in. Jesus, thanks for tonight. Thanks for the time to come together. Thank you for the moment to stop and worship and just declare you are God, and we ask and invite you here that you would speak, that you would... Uh, yeah, God, you would give us great grace on such a big, big subject. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you open your notes <clears throat> and you didn't check Facebook, you realize that we're talking on sex tonight. Uh, something that you probably aren't accustomed to, some of you ever hearing in church, and you kind of think like, oh, can we even say that uh, here? But we, we, we can, one, because God made it up. That's why. It was his idea from the beginning, and so we're going to talk about his idea and his plan about it, and how to experience actually the best sex life you could ever experience, uh, and really thought that could be kind of a cool title. Maybe we could do that. Uh, we might draw a few more people of how to experience the best sex ever. Um, thought that might work out. But uh, I just thought about it, you know, and kind of in the church forum, almost when you talk about sex, it almost feels like I don't know if you ever had this, but it almost feels like that the, the talk. You, you know what I mean? I, maybe you didn't have it. I had the talk with my dad, and I really remember I was sitting on the side of my bed, and I was probably like maybe 11, 12 years old, and we had the sex talk, and we didn't make eye contact. And, you know, we just kind of sat there, and it was, you know, he was very uh, informative, and, and let me know how much he loved me and that no matter what, he would always love me. And there's some really great parts about it. But it was awkward, you know. It was really, really awkward. And I hope that in some ways we can debunk something here tonight so, um, so that we can get comfortable with what God's created as something amazing. If you got your notes, I'm actually going to literally dive in. And so open them up. We got a lot of content to cover because we don't talk about this all the time. And as a result, there's a lot to cover in one night on this. Uh, but really, I really do. I long, and God longs for you, to experience the very best sex life on the planet. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like. To begin there, we've got to start with three major views concerning sex. Three major views for you and I that kind of uh, determine how we understand or view uh, our sexuality or sex. Uh, the first view is that this, that we, uh, and this is our predominant in culture. This is how uh, it is 
posed to us uh, and our worldview, most often we come with this worldview. It's this. Sex is a god. It is something to be worshipped. It's something to be kind of consumed. Sex is, is this. It's a natural appetite to be gratified whenever and however you like. We say things like, if it feels good, what? Anybody? Thank you. Thank you. You're with me. I'm so glad. And, and we buy into this reality that is just physical. You know what? It, it's, it's as much as a transaction, and as long as we're consenting, it's okay. It doesn't hurt anyone. It, and you know what? Let's go for it. And so it becomes this, you know, personal pleasure is the focus. It, almost this animal instinct. For some, your life in, under this is consumed by your identity wrapped up in it. And you begin to look at how people dress, and that may speak to that. Did you know, did you know that we live, I this come to a shock to you, in a sex-saturated society? Total, total shocker, right? Like, what? No, but, but do you know the extent? Because this whole idea is sex as God, and it becomes our total focus, and the end pursuit is simply just self-pleasure. Check this out, because this is mind-blowing, that the stats on just pornography alone, the porn industry alone, universally, annually, uh, worldwide, the porn industry uh, is a 90 billion, that's with a B, by the way, billion dollar industry. In the U.S., it's 13 billion dollar industry. That's more than pro football, pro baseball, and pro basketball combined in annual revenues. You think we have a focus of this is our world that's it's just, you know, we kind of focus as, hey, this is a need to be gratified. This is an appetite. This is like, hey, this is an animal instinct. I can't help it. Check out this. Uh, that um, 90% of kids ages 18 to 16 have viewed, viewed porn. Uh, the first uh, average age of first viewing porn is 11 years of age. In fact, I can clearly remember the first time I viewed porn. It was, I was eight years old. It was in my uncle's basement. My brothers were watching a movie, and I remember this girl walking out of the bed, and she was topless, and I'm like, whoa! And I didn't know what that was, but it sent me tailspinning. I mean, I have that image seared into my mind to this day. I could tell you the movie. I won't, but I could. Number one consumer of online porn are boys ages uh, 12 to 17 years of age. The average person has sex for the first time at 16 years of age. Check this out. On on our TV, 96% of all uh, intercourse or sexual interaction is all done extramaritally. Sex in our culture. We live in a sex-saturated society where sex is simply... A God, it's a need to be filled, and it feels good, do it. It's just like a handshake, and here we say, it's just physical. It's no big deal. But here's the problem. You and I have experienced those consequences, haven't we? It's just physical. It doesn't, doesn't work when you walk away from that relationship, and something's torn inside But over and over, this is a predominant view that is reiterated constantly to you and I that, hey, it's, it's, and and philosophically we would call it sexual realism. Sex is a God. The second view then moves into that is sex is gross. 
Because this are the people who experience the, the most severe or negative consequences. Because when sex is a God, people become objects to gratify your pleasure. They no longer are people to love. They're objects that are, seek, that are out there to please you. Because you're taking in all these images. You're reading Fifty Shades of Grey and you're having all these romantic, crazy thoughts. By the way, just, can, I, can I just say this? Nothing ever works the way it does on the movies. No one's clothes come off like that. Okay, come on. No one looks that good in the morning waking up. No one's breath is perfect. I mean, come on. But we buy into it, don't we? And so if people become objects, then people begin to abuse it and sex is gross and under this category... There's two different, I think, types of people. One are those who are sexually abused. A one in four women at college age report that they were raped sometime from 14 years of age through college. One in six women nationally. That, that we experience this large level abuse because it's simply we dehumanize people and say you're just an object to be used. Now, and here's, let me just say this. If you're here, because if the stats are true, you're, there's a, a good handful of people who've experienced some sort of sexual abuse. Man, let me just say, there's, there's some feelings that you have and some things that you feel like you were robbed of and there's some realities that you feel you walk around feeling dirty or cheapened or used or no good or damaged goods and it's just not true. You are loved. And you may need to get some help. You may need to go and have a, a conversation with a counselor or may talk to someone because you, I, I think the stat is 90% or 60, I can't re- remember it right off the top of my head, of especially rapes go unreported. Because it is such a violation, not, it's just not physical, it's just a violation of who you are that you just can't even bring yourself to say anything. And maybe you would have the courage as a result of tonight to say something. And you're in that category and it just feels gross. And the whole idea of sex feels just gross and you feel dirty. And some have gone to the other where it, goes, it becomes grotesque and, and there's this sexual addiction and you don't know why and it's just built deep into the DNA of you and you just can't help it and it just doesn't feel right but it's, you just, that's the way you know how to function. It's a natural product of living in a sex-saturated world. It is the devastation that riddles our country. And if we're honest, if we're, if we're honest, in this one area, more devastation has been done to your soul because we have not talked openly and honestly as a community, as a church, about the reality of what's happening. And you just kind of go through the motions and think, well, this is just how everybody else does it. Well, if it, how everybody else does it doesn't work, let's stop doing it. Because let me tell you that. The second group under sex is gross is, I think, how people view, and maybe some Christians, some Christians think God's against sex, and he's not. Some, some think he's this fuddy-duddy, and, he's, and it's, it's just gross, and it's this shameful thing, and you know what, if you have kids, great, that's, it's just kind of for having kids, but everything else, ah, talk to 
some Christians, and they're like, ew. I'm like, well, no, no, no. God, God made it. It was his idea. Sin, uh, sin entered the world, but sex was long before that happened. Sex was before the fall. See, God's view on sex is simply this. It's not that it's a God. It's not all-consuming. And it's not that it's gross. It's that it's good. In fact, it's great. God longs, just check this out. You don't believe me yet. I can tell just by the way you're sitting at me. God longs for you to have the greatest sex life on the planet. And the reason is it was his idea from the beginning. He designed it. He created you as a sexual being. But, but here's the problem with sex. It is this amazing, amazing gift that in the right context brings life and love and unity. In the wrong context, it brings devastation and harm and brokenness. It's a lot like a fire, isn't it? And where in a fire, in a fireplace brings great warmth and life and, and safety, yet a spark and a force creates devastation. And God says, hey, guess what? I've designed this amazing gift for you to enjoy that you are made this way, and it's deeply, deeply intimate, and it's called sex, but it's designed for one man, one woman, in relationship forever. That's how it's supposed to work. In fact, the stats support that. Did you know? Those who abstain from sexual intercourse report higher uh, uh, rate, uh, levels of sexual satisfaction. That those who ca- cohabitate beforehand are 50% more likely to divorce See, it doesn't work. We think, you know what, let's, let's just test drive the thing. I said, no, 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 this is so sacred and so amazing. You, you don't need to test drive. This is just made for your good in this context. In fact, God doesn't degrade sex or make it little. Culture does. See, it's just simply a handshake over here and says, no, 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 this is sacred. God elevates it. Let, let, let me show you how sacred it is to God. Uh, there's a, let me give you a quick bi- uh, biblical theological. We'll try that again. A biblical theology of sex, the sacredness of sex. First uh, reality about sex, or the, uh, the sacredness of sex here, is that its first design is for procreation. You see that all the way from the beginning. Genesis 1, 27, 28 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And now God bless them. Check this out. I love this. Right, right from the beginning, God blessed them. And here's how he blessed them. And I just want you to underline three different things. Be fruitful. Underline that. And increase in number. Underline that. Fill the earth and subdue it. Underline, fill the earth. Three different times God talks about sex. He says, be fruitful. Get it on. Have fun. Fill the earth. Have lots of babies. You know how you have lots of babies? You have lots of sex. Some of you are like, oh, okay. Thank you very much. (laughs) Sorry. You mean kissing? No. Yeah, okay. We're good. No, this is what Tim Keller says. I love this. Sex is sacred because with God, it co-creates a new soul. Now, this isn't the only purpose of sex. In fact, it it's not always, doesn't always have to be for procreation. I know there's some couples, maybe even in here, that are struggling with infertility, and it doesn't make you any less of a person. 
And I think that's one of those secret things that you suffer silently and you don't ever share because it feels almost shameful. And, and honestly, you are love fully. And there's nothing less in you. And I just invite you that you would just take it to a close couple and just go, hey, here's what's going on. Would you walk with us? This heart is painful. It hurts. And you'd share it and you would stop suffering silently. And if you're one of those couples that, that someone talks to, can I just give you a little bit of advice? Because uh, your, your tendency might be to fix or your tendency might be to interrogate. Would you just listen? Would you just listen and go, man, how can we pray for you? Would you mourn? Would you hurt with them and not try to fix something? Biblical theology of sex, the sacredness of sex. It's sacred because it creates new life. It's sacred. Now check this out. Here's why it's sacred. Because it's, God intended it for you to experience just a pinnacle of pleasure. You're like, really? Huh. I, I thought God was anti-pleasure. I thought God was a killjoy. I thought he just didn't want me to have any fun. I thought he was kind of that fuddy-duddy. And he's going, no, did you know the Bible actually speaks a lot about sex? In fact, there's a whole book devoted to it about this relationship about sex, Song of Solomon. In fact, one uh, Old Testament uh, theologian says this about the Song of Solomon. He says, most English translations hesitate in this verse. The Hebrew is quite, what, listen to this, erotic. And most translators cannot bring themselves to bring the obvious meaning. You go read through the Song of Solomon, and you're like, whoa. It was so out there that they wouldn't let the monks actually read it, though, because they're like, hey, no, 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 you, that book's, do you think about this? A book of the Bible's off limits. Because <laughs> God's pro-sex. God's pro. He says, I designed it for your pleasure and releases a chemical called opium in your brain that says the same kind of chemical release of cocaine even. He's going, man, I want you to experience the best naturally. Listen to what the uh, Proverbs says. Drink water from your own cistern. No, no, he's talking to husbands. He's talking to a guy. So go ahead and figure out what he's talking about. Okay, you know, the Bible's using some imagery, some metaphors here. And realize he's talking about sex, okay? So go ahead and figure it out. Drink water from your own cisterns, running water from your own well. Your springs should, uh, should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public square? You catch, you, anybody? Anybody catching this? Okay, maybe I'm alone. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with a stranger. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your, may your fountain be blessed. Did you catch that? He's saying, guys, may, yeah, that be blessed. Man, yeah. I don't want you to have to do any pills when you get later on in life. Be blessed. Rejoice, find full pleasure and satisfaction in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Whoa, whoa, come on, come on, whoa. They, they said the word breast in the Bible. <laughs> See, God, God says, no, no, this is so great and so good. If you, to do it in any other way, man, you'll miss out. God longs for you to have a great sex life. He says the sacredness of sex, it, it co-creates a new soul. It brings new life. And, and the fullness of pleasure is in his design. It says one man, one woman for life. And then finally, what makes sex sacred is unity. This idea of oneness. 
and we get this, we understand that it's way more than just physical. Even though we buy into that, it kind of, what allows us to kind of just go, yeah, it's just a handshake, it's no big deal. But then we experience the consequences on the back end. We experience the emotional attachment. We experience the spiritual devastation. It's way more than just physical. There creates a oneness, a bond that the Bible says is when you have intercourse and you unite your body with someone else, there is a bond that is designed, God made it this way, that's inseparable. Listen to what... uh, Genesis 2.24, from the very beginning, says, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is, circle this word, united. That word literally means this idea of bonding together, like taking crazy glue to two cardboard pieces and gluing them together, and it's almost impossible to pull them apart. If you pull them apart and you rip it apart, what do you have? You have pieces of cardboard that have broken unevenly back and forth. And by the way, man, men and women, I just got to be honest, That's how a lot of us are going through life. Pieces of other people all over us and hurt. Because he says, when we engage in this activity, this beautiful sacredness of sex, a oneness occurs. And it's sacred because it creates a oneness and a bond that is so much deeper than just a physical act. And he says they become one flesh. The Apostle Paul picks it up in 1 Corinthians to this really jacked up church that was all over the map. And by the way, the Corinthians would have understood sex the way we understand it. No, 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 this isn't a oneness. This is just sex, man. It's just sex. It's just we're two consenting adults having a good time, and it's okay. Come on. Man, you're so old-fashioned. Paul says this. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? No, 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 unite. We're not uniting. We're just having sex. Yes, exactly. You become one. It's sacred. It's holy. For it is said that the two will become one flesh. Hmm, We just read that verse. But whoever unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And then he says this, flee from sexual immorality. In fact, that word sexual immorality is where we get the word uh, porn. It's literally pornea. And it's literally all types of sexual activity outside the way God designed it to be. So it's, whether it's porn, whether it's sex, um, extramarital or premarital sex, he says, flee from it. He says, all other sins a person commits are outside his body. And here's what's the big deal. Here's why it's so sacred. But whoever sins sexually, you sin against your own body. And and I just got to be honest, my heart breaks. Because some of you are walking wounded in this area. And I just want to, we'll give you hope at the end tonight as well. But my heart just breaks because no one ever told you. No, no one ever told you that this is the sacred, that God actually has a plan for your sex life and he wants the best for you. No one ever told you that he has created it unique and special, that it co-creates a new life, that, that it is actually this uh, is for your pleasure and for your good, and that when you engage in it, it creates a bond that was never intended to be broken. Notice what Tim Keller says. Once again, sex is a God-invented way to say to another person, I belong completely and exclusively and permanently to you. That's a theology, a brief theology of sex. I want to move into some application, and as I do, I'm going to invite Christina up and just let her give some commentary. I'm going to let you know I'm going to 
hit the marriage in a second. I'm going to go a little bit out of order in the notes. Um, but here's what I want to just give you a little illustration before we dive into this. When I was 16 years old, I got my brother's car. He tossed me the keys, and I had learned how to drive on a manual, but his car was a stick shift. And, and he tossed me the keys, and this was the training I got. He threw me the keys, and he said, and I'm like, I don't know how to drive a stick. He says, it's easy. All you do is you put the clutch in, put the thing in gear, and then you just do it even like this. I mean, this is literally his hands. He's like, just like that, and clutch, gas. You got it. Walked inside. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, what I did for the next number of months was I couldn't get out of first without killing the engine unless I gunned it. So everywhere I went, I peeled off the line. Now it's 16. That's actually kind of cool, you know. But internally, I felt like a fraud. So I'd have a girl in the seat, and I'd be like, and I'm like, yeah, you see that? And she's like, idiot. I'm like, I can't, I can't drive any other way. I can't do it. No one taught me out. Now, here's the, here's the reality. In this arena, in the area of sex, I think it, with our families and with church world, we, we failed you. And I'm sorry, because we've often just said figure it out, and we've never really talked openly and honestly about it. And you're just going, I don't know. And I just hope that the rest, remaining part of tonight will be just uh, like, not like, this isn't going to be like a tutorial. This is where this part fits. Okay, I, you guys got that. Right? But this is going to be like, okay, here's some practical applications so that you can experience God's plan for your sex life. Okay? And it's a big deal. And he longs for you to have the best. Uh, as we dive in, I want to speak real quickly to singles and those who uh, are, are, feel like they're single by choice or single by gift. And we, and throughout the series, haven't spoken a lot to you. And I just want to say that the Bible elevates, yeah, it is a gift. Some of you are like, what? The Bible actually elevates singleness. And for some of you, you're feeling like, man, I feel on the outside. And I feel like if I'm not in a relationship, something's wrong with me. And there's nothing wrong with you. And, and for some, you may find that you feel God's calling you to be single. In fact, that's what the Apostle Paul says here in uh, Corinthians 7, uh, 1 Corinthians 7. He says, I wish that, you, that all of you were as I am. That means single and celibate. But each of you has your own gift from God, one that uh, has this gift and another has this. He calls it a gift because if you're single and you're, you're able to focus your entire life and ministry on the things of God, when you get married and you have a family, that pulls your attention. He says, it's such a great gift because I get to devote my whole life to building God's kingdom. I get to devote my whole life to serving Jesus. He says, man, is it great by the way, you're not missing out on anything. And, I, and, I, and that's the thing. That's so weird for us because I remember praying before I got married, don't you come back yet. You know, I was like, Jesus, I don't want Jesus to come back yet because I, I want to have sex, you know, with my wife. And too much? Too soon? Okay. Okay. You weren't with me. That's okay. And Paul says, no, man, it's a gift. It is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Let me speak briefly to marrieds and then, uh, then briefly to singles. Marrieds, let me say this, your best sex life is inside, not outside your marriage. 
And if you're single, take notes here. Big, big stuff. You'll need it later. Your best sex life is inside, not outside your marriage. Some of us, uh, you get tempted into the grass is greener on the other side. And I just say this. If you're not experiencing the best sex life ever, ever, I just want to be honest. It gets better. I've been married 11 years, and I'll be a little frank with you. It's awesome. It's way better than when we first got married by a long shot. And I have a buddy who's in his mid to late 50s, he's been married almost 30 years. And for whatever reason, he likes to tell me this. He's like, dude, dude, sex is awesome at 50. And I'm like, come on. Ah, ah. I mean, how cool is it that, that actually research says that year 35, you experienced the best marriage. Year 35 of marriage experienced the most intimacy. See, we opt out way too soon when life gets hard. Your best sex is inside, not outside your marriage. So let me give you a few tips on how to develop that. First, begin to communicate openly and honestly. Openly and honestly about how you're doing, what you long for. Let me give you a great question. If you're married, this is the question. If you're dating, this is not your question, okay? Just put it on the sidelines, please. Here's the question. How can I please you? Or you just honestly talk about it. Maybe you've never talked. Maybe it's always been like one of those off-the-cuff things where you feel like you're not allowed to talk about it. No, 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 no. God talks about it a lot, and he's real open. And he said, you'd begin this week and just ask this question. How can I please you? You just begin to communicate openly, honestly. And, and for, I think what happens in relationships a lot, I do this with Jenny in different areas of, like, I'll be kind of passive or passive-aggressive and hope that they get the hint, and then they never do, and then just angry, right? We do that a lot. And we just go, okay, I'm not going to play games, and I'm not going to try to drop hints and hope they figure it out. Here, here's what I'm desiring. Be open. Ask the question, how can I please you? Second, develop a holistic understanding of intimacy. Because intimacy is way more than just sex. And I know the conversation the three of us, you, me, Jay, and Tony were having, and you made such a good comment about this, uh, that the primary sex organ, and researchers say, is not uh, your sex organs, but is your mind. And that intimacy and sex is so much more than just that physical act. And so for those couples that have been married a while, would you do intentionally what at first came naturally? that you would go on dates, that you would have meaningful conversations, that you would carve out time? Would you invest in what your mate is interested in? Or instead of being so focused on your needs or as kids come, it gets really crazy that you would begin to invest time and energy in the things they're interested in. Now, this is such a big point that would your spouse, would your mate, make your spouse or your mate your standard of beauty? We have all kinds of things competing and saying, this is beautiful, this is not, you're beautiful, you're not, and all these things that are bombarding, and you would just say, and you decide in your heart, my spouse is my standard of beauty, and everyone else dims in comparison, and not your spouse or mate when you first got married to them, but presently, right now, and by the way, bodies change when you get older. And it's okay. And you say, right now, even though your body changed, even though I'm a little bit heavier than I was when we got married, you're still my standard of beauty. A little application. Husbands, I'll just say this to your wives. Would you be verbally generous? 
There's so many things bombarding women, and there's just like this thing that they, they have, just almost like this body-hating gene because everything's going against them. And even if your spouse isn't like a, their love language isn't like words where you just go, hey, I'm going to give them, you know, verbally over and over, you're beautiful, you're awesome. The Bible does it a lot. I mean, Song of Solomon says your neck's like a tower of David. You know, your teeth are like flocks of goats. <laughs> and you're like, those are lame. I could do better than do. And women, wives, not women, but wives, would you be visually generous with your husband? I think there's, because of that body-hating gene, you not, don't always feel comfortable in your own skin, but you would feel comfortable that your husband has made you his standard of beauty and you would allow him to enjoy the gift that you are to him that you are beautiful and you'd be visually generous to him, that you wouldn't cover up, that you wouldn't say, okay, I know there's lots of things bombarding him and I'm just gonna let him have it all. And just, by the way, just a little tip, guys. Don't jump on her every time she does this because then she'll start covering up. She'll be like, I'm not giving you the hint. Not a whole lot of marrieds in here. I was laughing, so. Finally, create margin for marrieds in your schedule to connect deeply. It won't happen unless you create it. Jen and I do a thing called Date and Details where we just talk about family, finances, and future. And maybe this week you need to create some margin. Now, singles. Let me do this. And I want to speak to you for a second. If, if marriage, your best sex is inside, not outside your marriage, singles, even in God's design where he says it's designed for those who are married, one man, one woman, for life, forever, here's what he would say to you. Your sex life begins now, not later. It begins now, right here, right now. Because here, And so there's a few things. First, would you shift from being self-serving to self-giving? See, when we view sex as a God, people become objects, and it's about self-serving, and we confuse love and lust so much, and you say, no, 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 I'm going to begin to be self-giving. You ask this question, we asked it earlier, and what is the other person's highest and best? And you just begin to ask that question you go, will they love Jesus more at the end of this relationship, whether we get married or not? Did I treat them with honor? And then know that your past will follow you into your future. See, somehow we don't believe that. We think, okay, I did this, and then I show up here, and everything's new. And you just need to know your past has this... tricky way of following you wherever you go and what you did here will inevitably follow you into your future your best your sex life actually begins now and nothing is just physical would you just speak to that real quick on nothing is just physical yeah absolutely um i just hi guys it's fun to hang with you um nothing is just physical when i think of that line for me i think of carl fulton I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast ever because this would be kind of embarrassing. But I held hands with Carl Fulton in the sixth grade, and he was the very first person that I have ever held hands with, like, boy-wise. And we were at an ice skating rink, and some Mariah Carey song was playing because it was the 90s, and we held hands, and that was my first hand-holding experience. And, y'all, it was not just a physical thing. That memory's, like, burned in my head, right? I think I could say to all of you, tell me about your first kiss. 
and you could tell me what your first kiss was. Because our bodies and our sexuality is not purely physical. And I believe that as we progress in a physical relationship with someone, our emotional connection with them gets stronger and stronger and stronger. To the point that when we have sex with someone and then that relationship ends, a part of our heart is torn up and hurt. And when that doesn't hurt anymore, that's a sign that something's gone way, way wrong. Way wrong. I shared this morning in the first service that I had a high school sweetheart. Went on to break up with him. He got married soon after. And when I was 20 years old, I sang at his wedding. Uh, Because we were good friends, and he's just a great guy that loved Jesus. Can I tell you guys right now that as I was on the stage, because I was going to be singing later, and I watched his beautiful bride, dressed in all white, come down the aisle towards him, and I could see the glow smile on his face, I was so overwhelmed with guilt. This was his beautiful bride. And I thank the Lord so, so much that the Lord had made it so clear to me early in my life that I was not going to have sex with this guy because we were not married. But I made out with him. I kissed him. I did stuff with him that I don't want his wife to know about. I took something from this amazing woman that became his wife later. And from that point on, for me, it became like a standard in my head. It was like, I don't know if this person's going to be my spouse. They might belong to someone else. I might belong to someone else. And for me, that really elevated the way that I treated people in dating relationships and the way I let people treat me, the way I let them touch me, the choices that I made about our relationship. Because not only um, does our past come with us, but those are connections and attachments that are going to go with us into our future relationships. No, that's good. That's really good. So let let me just give you some practical, okay, I'm single, we're dating, you're telling me God designed sex to happen this way, and it's awesome. In fact, I, I, yeah, anyways, I, I could go on to a couple more stats. We don't have time for it. Because married sex is way better, just letting you know. You don't believe it, because no one does movies about it, because it's kind of boring. You're like, that's, they just have sex all the time, and they're hanging out, and it's way better if, you know, he has, cheats on her and goes over here. We'll make movies about that. We'll write books about that, but I just got to let you know. Way, way better. So let me give you a couple just applications of, okay, how do I, if my sex life starts right now, begin to live this out? How do I, how do I wait uh, for God's best? And, and I, I just have four that I've used over the years, and if you've been around a while, you've probably heard them. Uh, and let me just hit those. They're in your notes. The first thing is, okay, the bikini rule is like anything in the bikini area, right? Here, here, here. You just go, those are off limits because those are like part of your sexual organs and you're just going to get stuff going that you can't fulfill or you shouldn't go there and you just begin to excite some things and you go, okay, I, that's, I, I don't want to go there. Uh, the second thing that I think is just helpful in, in, in this is just going, okay, the H factor. I just go, okay, the bikini rule, going, okay, yeah, that makes sense. H factor is don't get horizontal. And, and, you know, the reality is, is you're hanging out with your honey, you're watching, does anybody t- say that? No, probably not. Um, and you're watching a movie at your apartment, and you're just kind of leaning down, and eventually you get down horizontal, and everything's just kind of fits just right. And you're like, okay, this is kind of nice. And, and, and it is. 
But if you want to honor her, you want to honor him, you want to honor God, you want to honor the sacredness and the beauty of what he's given you so that you save it for what's best, you just say, okay, I'm just not going to get horizontal. That's nowhere in the Bible, by the way. I just think it's wise. The the bikini rule, the H factor. Uh, And then then the other one is nothing good happens after midnight. And I go, seriously, I don't need a curfew. I haven't had curfews forever. You would just say, in this relationship, I want to be able to always answer the question, what's the highest and best for you, and treat you that way. I'll never regret that. I'll never regret answering that question, what is the highest and best for you, and then doing that. I can regret a whole lot of other things, but I'll never regret that. And so you go, okay, nothing good happens after midnight. And you're going like, well, seriously, there's a lot of good things that happen after midnight, okay? But here's, here's all I'm saying. And you decide what the parameters are for you. At a certain stage of lateness in the night, your defenses go down, your willpower goes down. In fact, that's why we eat so much junk food at night, because your willpower goes down. There's all kinds of clinical studies on that. Junk food, by the way. Um, and you just realize, it just puts us in a bad position to make unwise choices. Bikini roll, the H factor, nothing good happens after midnight. And then finally, Joe's secret weapon. I love Joe. And I taught on this actually at Vintage last week. I was at Vintage Faith Church and Jay was here and it's great and I missed you guys. But I taught on this guy Joe in the Bible. He's uh, found in Genesis and his name's really Joseph. Um, but we're better friends so I get to call him Joe. Joe's secret weapon is simply this. You ready? One word. Run. That's it. That was his secret weapon. Joe is in, uh, he is at work, he's overseeing his boss's stuff, but the boss's wife has the hots for him, really likes him a whole lot, and he's daily resisting her. Now, we don't know how hard of temptation this was. She may not have been all that, you know, Um, just saying. But one day, she figures out how to get alone with him. And she pressures him to the point and grabs a hold of his jacket, his cloak, and he runs out, and it just comes off, and he's literally naked, and he runs out of the room. You remember that passage in Corinthians where he said, flee from sexual immorality. There are some things that you can stand up under, and guys, we justify this. Gals, I think we justify this. It's no big deal. I can handle it. What the Bible would say is, listen, this is such a powerful force that God designed for you and I that if you do it outside the context, it is just this like, woo, it's going to pull you together. So run. Don't try to stand up under it. Run. I have a buddy I remember back in the day, and he knew Joe's secret weapon, and he was up in his upstairs apartment in downtown Capitola, and things were getting hot and heavy, and clothes were starting to come off, and all of a sudden, he heard run in his head. I mean, he literally, he's like, I just heard the words run, and so, like, I I just got up, and I ran. I mean, he's just in his boxers at this point, okay? Runs down the stairs, down the street, jumps over the little cement barrier to the sand, runs down the sand, and it's just straight into the ocean. <laughs> Would you embrace wise guardrails, the bikini rule, the H factor? Nothing good happens after midnight in Joe's secret weapon. Finally, some of you, I'd say probably the greater majority if the stats are right, you're just, you, you say, oh, it's too late. It's too late for me. And I just say, it's never too late. You don't know where I've been. I say, I don't have to. God can redeem what you and I have wrecked.
He can. He can take what's broken inside of us, and even if someone else wrecked it and robbed it from you, God can redeem and restore you. And at this moment, as we kind of close, and we're going to move into Q&A, I love this line, and I've used it before. I invite you to this point. And this line says, though you cannot go back and have a brand new start, you can start now and have a brand new end. You can't go back and start all over, and some of us wish we could. And pre my wife, and for both Jen and I, we wish we could go back and do it over because we have major regrets that carried forth into our relationship. But I just got to tell you, with Jenny, both her and I, we decided when we started dating, we're going to start and do it God's way. And I just got to tell you, it's awesome. And I'm so thankful. And God redeemed and restored those broken relationships and the things that I did with girls that I just so wish never happened, images that I saw with porn that I wish I could take out, and all those sort of things. And though you cannot go back and have start again, you can start now and have a brand new start. No matter where you're at, where you've been, what you've done, would you start today and you just go, go, God, here I am. I want to... I want to actually take sex as seriously as you. I want to elevate it to what you've designed it to be. You actually make it such a bigger deal, and it's so much more precious and sacred, and I've actually not really cherished that. I, and I just want to start today. Would you do that? I mean, just imagine the type of relationships God wants you to have if you'd begin to do that. Jay, if you would come up, friend. And if you have questions, you can go ahead and text them. And for sake of time, I cut a lot of my stories out because I ran real long um, in the other service. So um, Jay's going to read some of the questions. If you've got questions, and here's the deal. Um, we'll try to get to as many as possible. We've got about 10 minutes to do so, maybe 15. And, um, and then on the flip side, and, and we did texting so that... It's anonymous, so you don't feel like, oh, man, I don't want to be, it's weird. Like, you know, this isn't the Dr. Drew show, you know. I have a sex question um, type deal. But it can, all right. Shit. All right. Nice. Way to be Johnny on the spot, Austin. Um, how do I encourage my spouse or my partner, my mate, uh, if they are struggling with a porn addiction? That's a great question. Um, Here's one of the things I just to say, and this is to all men, but even women, and I understand that women uh, deal with porn, and that's one of the number one rising uh, demographics in pornography use is actually women in our society today. Uh, but the power is in the secret. And I just, I just call it, guys, would you have the courage to break the silence? And, or you just, whether it's writing us and getting a close friend saying, hey, man, I need help. And I just would, I would draw boundaries if you're a spouse and, you're, and your spouse is on porn. I just draw real clear boundaries. That is not okay in our home. And, and if you don't get help, this is not going to work out well. I've watched too many marriages be destroyed by pornography. I mean destroyed. And we think it doesn't hurt anyone. It does massively. And so I, I just say, wives, would you, if, if it's a wife, I just assumed, sorry, but come alongside them and just go, hey, 
Here's what it looks like because it breaks my heart. And guys, you would have the courage to get help for the sake of your relationship, for the sake of your marriage. I think you have some Yeah, good for sure. I think it um, sounds like the question was written from a wife, but I want to just address the husband perhaps in that situation or whoever in this room needs to hear this. The truth of it is pornography, um, I believe it is a weapon of the enemy that he's using to break down the relationships of Christian marriages today in our world. And I think it's extremely awful. I, I, I just could tell story after story of marriages failed, marriages ended and divorced because of pornography. And I think, like Ryan said, the secret is so much the issue because it, years ago, right, you had to, like, drive to the store and, like, you know, buy it, whatever. Online, it's so accessible on your phone. It's anywhere. Men, here's what you need to know. Pornography is completely and absolutely degrading of women. That's a great place for an amen, by the way, ladies. I just thought I'd let Thank you know. Thank you. <laughs> and if you are in a relationship with a woman, that pornography is absolutely crushing her. It is crushing her self-esteem. It is crushing your physical relationship with her in that marriage because the expectations you have of her are completely false. You have invited someone else into something that should be sacred and holy and blameless. And women, if you are in a relationship, in a marriage relationship with someone who's struggling with pornography and you feel crushed, you have every right in the world to feel that way. Pornography destroys our sexual identity, our sexual minds, our sexual expectations. And without the Lord, I think it would be pretty awful. (laughs) But here's the good news. There are so many places to go for help. Celebrate Recovery is an amazing one. I know ARC is a local organization that helps husbands. um, It helps wives. It helps families. Here's the thing. Y'all, I mean, y'all are young in this room. I'm loving it. But now is the time in your lives to, like, conquer this puppy. Like, don't look back 20 years from now and be like, I've been dealing with porn in my life for 25 years, and look at my marriage crumbled, and look, look at all that has fallen apart. And women, if you are in this world with either a boyfriend or a husband, I want to really encourage you to reach out and get some help. There's some great resources for women, too. One book that is amazing for wives of men who are dealing, dealing with sexual addiction or affairs, it's called Every Heart Restored, Every Heart Restored, and it is an amazing book written for women, from women who have dealt with this exact same issue. Yeah, you you hit on something that just, like, was a big deal, because we believe this thing, and I think, especially in the area of porn, once I get married, then it will go away. Once I get married, then all the problems will be solved, and it's okay now, but then it will go away. I just want to let you know, it won't. That's the end. It won't get better. Whatever habits and patterns you started before you got married, you will take into your marriage. Okay? This was blowing and, uh, for us in our marriage early on because I brought in a pornographic addiction that was being addressed into the early years of our marriage. And, and so as a result... Man, I didn't want, I realized exactly what Christina said. I, I want to honor my God. I want to honor my wife. And I want to honor what his calling on my life. No more. And so as a result, went to what looks like to other people, extreme measures. Said, okay, we're not going to have internet. We didn't have internet for a long time. Anything that we have access to, Jenny's got all the passcodes. Not because, uh, you know, it's like, I just don't want to have to even worry about it. 
Okay. All right. I could go a long time. And this, I'm pretty passionate about it. This is a question. Um, I'm going to condense it down. It's a question from somebody who's actually been sexually abused. And the question, condensing it down, essentially is, what's my first step toward healing? And what's my first step toward forgiveness? Wowzers. My heart breaks for you. And um, it just... It makes me so sad, and it makes me so angry. Um, and the first thing I want to say is that first step for forgiveness, it's, it's there. It's done. It's done. Jesus died on the cross. Anything that has ever happened to us, any sin that we've done is forgiven. If you were abused, though, you need to not feel like that was your fault. That's a huge thing, for sure. Um, and so if that's what you're asking in terms of forgiveness, but you need to know if, if there's a, an area where you feel like I have wronged, our Lord Jesus has already died on the cross and that forgiveness is there for you right now. And all you have to do is accept it. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And the second thing to get help. I, I truly believe um, that this is an area where you, you need to see a professional. Friends are awesome, but I think there is a time and a place where we need to invite a professional into our life. Maybe we even pay money to sit with someone and talk through some of the stuff so that we can process, so that we can have healing in the area of our sexuality. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think that's huge. And I, I'd also say just know it's a process. Mm. And I think so often we want immediate fixes and the reality is, is it's a process and that you would engage in the process and you would get outside help. I think that's huge. Um, and your wholeness comes not from that experience but from Christ. And that's a process of embracing that truth. And I think one of the things that you can do right now is just simply begin to wake up every morning and preach what's true about you. And just go, I am a daughter of Christ. I am a son of the King Most High, whoever you are. I am beloved right now. I am cherished. Because these are all true of you. And you just begin to go. Because you keep preaching in your mind. You just, because as you do that, slowly through process, you'll actually begin to embrace that reality as true. And if you need specific recommendations... For counseling centers, counselors, we would like to give that to you. Absolutely. I don't know what's an, what's an email address that just so we're really specific right, right now. Just email me at ryan at awakeningchurch.com. And we will help you get to that first step. Uh, do we have time for two more or one more? Two more? Okay. Well, it depends on... I'll talk really fast, I promise. Let's say the two people are in a dating relationship and both are weak-willed when it comes to say, staying physically pleasing before God. Uh, what's a practical step? That we can take to become stronger willed and remain pure. I love that question. Yeah. I love the heart behind that. Um, I say stay in public. Honestly, you can have some rocking, awesome public dates. And I actually kind of laugh at that because I'm in the season of life where I've been married nine and a half years. I have three children. The youngest one's not even a year old yet. And so my husband and I, like, for a date, like, we so badly want to, like, leave the house right? We want to go out to dinner. We want to go do something. And I feel like when we were dating, we're always like, oh, let's just stay in. Let's just be together. It's kind of funny. The tables have turned. But that would be my advice. If, if you know you don't have willpower and you're going to just stumble over and over and over and over, just set up the boundary so it can't happen. Honestly, 
Don't be in a car alone together. Don't be in an apartment alone together. Go out to dinner. Go for a walk. There's so many awesome rocking dates that you can do and things that you can do to get to know each other and have an awesome dating relationship um, that won't trip you up. I mean, that's kind of old-fashioned, but it works. Yeah, your answer was so much nicer than my answer. Oh, what was yours? Oh, that was great. That was I'm a great nice. answer. Nice. No, mine was break up, but... Um, oh! <laughs> Dude, my mind didn't even go there. Maybe you do. No, man, because let's be honest. Uh, and if, you, if you're in a place where you're habitually just over and over, and you're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, either you get severe accountability around you, you love this person, if, but the reality is, is what you're doing is not loving. Okay. Let's just be clear about that. That is not loving. That is self-serving. If you really love them, then you would put what Christina talked about. And you might even just go, you know what? We need a break so that we, what we talked about in week two, that I need to become the right person for you because right now I am not the right person. That takes courage. That takes guts. And that takes, man, that takes a man or a woman to step up to the plate. Okay. And so for some, honestly, I just got to be real honest, and it is a little bit harsh. Some of you, you just go, because what you're going to do is you're going to go, that was a really nice talk, and in the moment, you're going to go, well, let's do this, and then you go, well, we just ended up in the, you know, driving over here, and we, you know, whoo, and whoa, and yeah, right? (laughs) And then it just leads back to your old patterns. Patterns trump passion every time. Change your patterns. Okay? You have to change the patterns of your life if you want to see real change happen. Okay. That's great. Last one. Um, great one to close on. Many of us have heavy guilt and would never fess up in church about sex or our sexual sin for fear of being shamed by others, by the Christian community even. So can you speak a word of redemption for us um, as we close? Yeah. You want me to go first? Okay. Yeah. Here's what I'd say. One, I'd say I'm sorry from the church that we haven't dealt with this issue in a way that honors what God has said about it and presented in a way where you can understand his heart. That his heart was that he loves you. See, I, I think church should be the safest place on the planet to come just as you are, and yet we come with mass, don't we? And I just would say, you just need to know that your identity is not based on what you've done. Your acceptance is not based on what you've done or can do, but based on what Jesus has done. Amen. Man, thank you. By golly. (laughs) And I just say, in the moment where you're at, one, just know you're loved and that at your very worst and at I, my very worst, God gave his very best for you and I. And you just need to know, we'll always be real honest. We're a bunch of broken people learning to follow Jesus together. So let's always do that, okay? Can we be that kind of community? We're just on it. We're just going, man, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to share my struggles because I'm no way perfect. And I think in that we begin to grow together and become more like Jesus. Dude, there's nothing to add to that. It's just good. Cool. Why don't you stand and we'll close. Thanks for being here tonight. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, man, I pray. I pray 
that you have the greatest sex life on the face of the planet, that you actually get to experience God's best. And I just ask that as you walk out of this place, because I know we hit on some sensitive stuff, that you would be overwhelmed with his love for you, that his love for you doesn't vary in one way. His intensity of love has never changed, not in any iota of any little bit, because he loves you fully and completely just as you are. And you'd have the courage to have a conversation. You'd have the courage to get help. You'd have the courage to do what God's been prompting in your heart in this time. Go in his grace. In Jesus' name, amen.